with the Egyptians uh, in verse 29. God takes sides, does he not? Romans 9 at verse 14. And Paul has begun the argument with, you know, just basically saying his, his sovereign choice in election and redemption. It's, it's up to him. He'll, he'll harden whoever he hardens. He'll, he'll soften and redeem whoever he wants to redeem. It's up to him. We all deserve to be cast into hell and receive eternal destruction. That God saves anybody is because of his, his grace and mercy and the redemption in Christ. So he's, he's making these points. In verse 14, he continues, What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh and to the Egyptian army, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills and hardens whomever he wills. The Pharaoh of Moses' time in Egypt was a Pharaoh whose heart was hardened over and over again, softened, hardened, softened, hardened. And every time we think, okay, maybe he gets it now. No, then God hardened hardened his heart. And finally brought him to the edge of the Red Sea, coaxed him inside of it, and then destroyed him. I facetiously sometimes refers to the only immersion in the Old Testament as a pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. And it was a destructive immersion, not a, a cleansing one. Unless you want to say the earth was cleansed of, well, anyway, but you know, but God, um, God loves his people. And once he has ordained to redeem a people, he'll, he'll love that people and be their God. In spite of them, he is faithful to his covenants. So we have Mary's Magnificat. We have Paul's teaching about God's sovereign plan of redemption and election and redemption in Romans 9. Matthew 7, go back to the beginning of the New Testament. To chapter 7 at verse 21, 21 through 23. And this is all more ominous. This is, at the end, the great white throne judgment. And about relationship again. And, and God knowing us or not knowing us. Jesus is teaching um, in the Olivet Discourse and Sermon on the Mount. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That's that's a terrifying um, thing to hear. I never knew you. God saying through his son, "I, I never knew you. Who are you? Faith and relationship. God comes into saving relationship with his covenant people. He redeems them. He becomes their heavenly father. And nothing, Paul says, can separate us from that heavenly father love. 
through Christ the Son. Nothing. But that love and that relationship are marked out for the redeemed of the Lord. And if you are the redeemed of the Lord this morning, take heart and let this encourage you that God is a, a God who is favorable to his people and to no other. And all by grace. Remember that too. Faith in relationship. Secondly, verse 30, faith in the improbable. Now, I don't know how many times we've, we've been able to look back on events in our lives and say, well, that was an improbable deliverance that God brought me through. I think we could. It's just that here we have an improbable approach militarily to a walled city. Now, back when I was in Baltimore, so my first out-of-seminary posting as a young graduate of seminary. Uh, I was a youth pastorate. And <clears throat> there was one family, I, th I can't remember if this was after I had already left or toward the end of my, my stay there in Baltimore. There was a family, and the father was struggling with some um, mental issues. And the daughter, who was in the youth group, uh, was having some trouble at school. So dad uh, required mom and daughter to come with him to the local high school where she went. And we're going to march around it seven times. And then we're going to pray. And we're going to march around it again seven times. And at the time, we all heard this. is said, guy's gone crazy. You know, what's going to happen? That's, that's not how do you, you approach this stuff these days. I mean, you don't march around the school. I mean, it's a misapplication. I think we, but here we're saying, that's nuts. He's a nutcase, making his family his daughter. And she was, she was uh, humiliated, and it was just a bad thing. Um, now, certainly prayer and uh, searching the Lord for the, the answers to the problems like that, but taking um, this application of God's command, uh, which even at the time was uh, the very... Um, the very uh, definition of improbability so the Lord basically tells Joshua okay we're going to take Jericho it's a walled city they've already run inside closed the doors they've already heard about Israel's uh, presence uh, Transjordan and now they're crossing over a million plus Israelites now descending upon little Jericho and um, now this, this verse and the next one, the context of, of uh, Rahab, are the same in a sense. It's also interesting how verse 30 uh, starts. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. Well, those must have been very faithful walls that uh, responded faithfully. Uh, it's, just, it's curious how uh, our author renders that. Um, the, the walls had great faith, and they fell down at the command of the Lord. Now, in a sense, there's some truth to that. They, you know, just unliving uh, dead pieces of, of rock. But at the command of God, they, they topple over and come down. But that's not really the message here. But there, the, the improbability of this is really the point. God is... God with Ai and Jericho, and really throughout the conquering of Canaan, is 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 um, is delivering this message first and foremost to his own people. 
you guys aren't the ones really actually ultimately doing this. I am. And we're going to start with Jericho. You're going to take your fighting army, the guys who are actually going to go over those, these walls when they, they crumble, and you're going to have the ark and the priest in front of you, and you're going to march around once every day, uh, and the blowing of horns and all, once every day. And then on the seventh day, you're going to march around it seven times. And then um, imagine this, if you can, in your mind's eye. At the, at the, on that last day, at the end of the seventh circum, uh, walking around the, the, the city, the priests blow their horns and a million people, along with the fighting men, shout. <sighs> Maybe that alone knocked the walls of Jericho down. But man, what a... If you're, if you're standing on the ramparts of Jericho, you're thinking, I want to die right now. Um, I'm going to die anyway. Uh, this is, is too much for the senses. Yet here's God's mighty people, his church, in a sense, conquering with the most improbable military um, strategy that was ever brought to bear. Now, obviously, improbable militarily, humanly speaking, but not for God. This was his plan to show Israel, I am your warrior. And I had a professor, Old Testament professor, Hebrew class, one of the hardest classes I took in seminary. It was awful. But it was great. I mean, Willem van Gemeren and his, his main phrase that I've heard over and over again is God the warrior God. He was from the Netherlands. He was Dutch. And he had that accent, the warrior God of Israel. God is a warrior God. And throughout Joshua, God is that warrior God going out with drawn sword ahead of his people. Follow me. Walk in my train, and I'm giving you this land. You will do most of the fighting, but I'm the one going before you and giving your enemies into your hand. And Jericho's the, the first and probably primary and most clear example of God giving his, his and Israel's enemies into their hands. And that's what he told Joshua. I'm, I'm, I, have, I have given Jericho into your hands already. So what I tell you to do in order to take Jericho, you just obey it. Uh, because it's me doing it, not you. You're obeying, I'm leading. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. I came across a great word this week in my study. And I challenge you this week to use it five times in a conversation with somebody. Um, they had been encircled as a word that means to surround, to walk around. But this word came up, circumambulate. They circumambulated the walls those seven, 14 times. So circumambulate, I use that in a sentence this week. So Jeff, uh, <laughs> I can't imagine. But let me know if you manage to, to pull that off. That'd be great. I've never seen that word before. Only in a, a commentary on the Old Testament. Uh, so this, this history, this narrative is covered in, in Joshua 6, 1 through 7. This is how you're going to approach Jericho. Here's how you're going to bring the walls down. Uh, improbable. Uh, a lot of our lives in Christ, we look back on and say, well, that was improbable. How did the Lord bring that about? or that was miraculous, or uh, I didn't see that coming as an answer to my prayers. I think we could, we could come up with some examples of that in our own lives. 
But I do want us to go to 2 Corinthians as we bring this point to a close. Um, uh, 2 Corinthians 10. And I thought about this as I was reading about a wall coming down. Perhaps the application for us now in the finished work of Christ, we don't march around schools and, and cities and shout and expect walls to come down, but as the church in the wake of the finished work of Christ, we do bring down walls, don't we? What does Paul say here in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6? He says, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. We, we live spiritually. We fight spiritual battles. Um, he says in Ephesians 6 that we're, we're on a spiritual battlefield. We're, we're armored up spiritually. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to what? To destroy strongholds of opposition, of doubt, Sometimes the strongholds are torn down in their own hearts. They're torn down at church with regard to false teaching or, you know, whatever it is. We have divine power. We have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. We have his ministry in our lives, in our church, in our churches, to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. So we're still destroying strongholds, aren't we? God gives us the visceral in the Old Testament, the fire from the heavens, the earth opening up and swallowing people whole. And, and those things happened. Uh, and those were times long before uh, Paul writing in the first century. And that was long before Christ Logos, the eternal Logos had come and finished his work. We live in an extraordinary time spiritually in the life of the body of Christ. This, in a sense, Jericho and the walls coming down apply to us because the church is still in the, uh, the habit or the, uh, the call to bring down strongholds that stand against the word of God in the church. We're still in that fight. We're still in that war, but we've already won. So faith in the improbable, faith obeys. Faith says, okay, Lord, we'll march around seven times, and then another seven times on the last day, we'll blow our horns and shout and trust you for the outcome. Sometimes so much of our, our walks with Christ are defined by the improbable. Lord, I'm your child. That was improbable. Uh, you called me to obedience this week. That's improbable. <laughs> um, Lord, why would you love someone like me? That was improbable, right? So let that wash over you. Um, we are an improbable people uh, called to an improbable goal. But the certainty of it is the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And God has promised to bring us home. Uh, earlier passage we talked about with faith is that faith will bring us home. The Lord will have us endure and persevere to the end when we show up by his grace at the throne. Improbable? Oh yeah. 
but certain, amen. Finally, faith and joy. Here we come to Rahab. Verse 31, by faith Rahab the prostitute. Greek word there is porne. Okay, um, here's Rabbi in all her, uh, Rahab in all her glory as a Gentile prostitute. Now you need to let that sink in because this, this depicts one of the glorious uh, instances of God's redeeming grace in his church. By faith Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Now, some of your translations, she had given a welcome of peace to the spies. Um, we'll talk about that. But she did not perish with. That, that's a, that's a, a word that has all the augments and endings and beginnings that mean to die with or to die alongside of someone else. Uh, you're dying with somebody in, with this verb. Um, it is error, so it's, it's, it's um, once and for all. It, it's no runoff. There's no uh, precursor. It's just it happens and it's done. She did not perish with those who were disobedient. She did not die alongside of the other Jerichoans. Jerichoans? Jerichoans? Um, <clears throat> because she had given a friendly uh, welcome to the spies. Now, the word disobedient there is, is interesting, too, and it kind of goes with the uh, dying with. Rahab did not die with because those who she did not die with were disobedient. And that word disobedient means to refuse to go along with. It's, uh, I'm not going to go along with you, Lord. I'm going to disobey, basically. So here you have Rahab not, going, not dying alongside of the, the people of Jericho as she is being obedient, she's going along with. She's not, not going along with. So a little play on words there. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given friendly welcome to the spy. She had... Now, my point is taken here. Faith and joy is taken from that word welcome and the welcome that she gave the spies, these two spies. Um, when you look back at verse 13 uh, in our text here in chapter 11, the same English word is used, although it's a different Greek word. All these died in faith. This is at, after Abraham and Sarah uh, showing their faith about the promised land and that they were strangers in the world and looking for something better. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar or welcomed them from afar is the, you probably have that English word there, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They welcomed these realities and the, their heavenly home from afar. Um, now, <clears throat> here in verse 31, um, welcomed here means to be happy about. Uh, Rahab was happy. She was, joy she was joyful when these two spies showed up. And we're going to go back to uh, Joshua 2 here in just a second. But um, her heart was, had joy in it. She welcomed. They were, she was happy about this 
this event and her, the opportunity that was presented to her to help Israel. Now, it was more than that, uh, as the text is going to display for us. But um, in verse 13 that we just looked at, um, Abraham, and this, Jesus, this is Jesus' own words from John 8, 56. He said, Abraham saw my day and was what? Glad. He looked forward to that. He, he thought that was a great thing. The, the Messiah's coming. And our author, uh, well, Jesus says that Abraham was glad when he saw my day. Because he was looking, Abraham was looking um, over the course of history to the promises of God as being redemptive and the, the Son of God and, and, and Christ. Maybe not by name, obviously. But he was looking forward to something greater and more eternal. And the word there uh, in John eight fifty six is the word for joy, Cairo. Um, think of Ruth and Naomi. Um, and it's the same with Rahab here. Rahab is, is cutting a tie and reestablishing a new one. What did uh, Ruth say to, to Naomi? Uh, May the Lord forbid that I that that we part ways here. Uh, I will go with you, and your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. It's almost a statement of of a covenant relationship established. Really, not from not by Ruth toward God, but in God's grace, He's bringing Ruth in. And Ruth was was a Moabitess, right? Always like to remember uh, genealogies back to the the patriarch Moab. Remember who Moab was? He's one of uh, the sons produced by Lot and one of his daughters in the cave. Okay, wow, that's great. One of the sons' names was Moab, and Ruth is a descendant. You know, they only have Rahab here being brought into the line of Christ. With her background, she was a Gentile Moabitess. Here you have Rahab, a Canaanite prostitute, and they're both in Jesus' genealogy. It's amazing. You talk about uh, extraordinary deliverances. That's another one in the Old Testament with regard to one of the, the ladies of faith. So in, in joy, with a sense of, of faith in God, and a joy in being able to serve him by protecting uh, these two spies. Turn with me back to Joshua 2. Hear what she says here. Um, instead of getting them right out of town, she realized that the the search party had gone out. If they, she had sent them out right away, they'd been caught and killed. So she kept them there in the city and put them on her roof. And um, and I think they were there three days so that the search parties would finally come back into the city. Then she could get them out. So she had them settled down, bedded down on the roof. Before This is verse 8. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Now, how she would have known that is interesting. I, you know, 
um, it seems to imply that the spies did not tell her this. She already knew. I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us. Now that was certainly, I mean, word had gotten to Jericho long before Israel did. There's this big bunch of people coming up from, from the south and there are, there's a million of them. And I don't know what they're coming up here for, but we don't like, you know, it's just all kind of nervousness and anxiety. Here they are just across the Jordan. Jer Jericho is situated really near the Jordan. As soon as you cross the Jordan where they did, you're on Jericho. <clears throat> the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. News traveled even then. Before when you came up out of Egypt <clears throat> and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, Sihon and, and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. And this is again Rahab speaking. For the Lord, your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. So here's Rahab. She's... She's, she's ready. She's, I believe she is making a profession of faith there. Notice how professions of faith pop up like this. Um, and she, unlike her, her people group there in Canaan, the probably city-state, um, did not share this profession of faith. But here she is making this profession. The Lord has claimed her and given her this redeeming faith and she's acting upon it she's hiding the spies she and she's appealing for her household with the spies please be merciful to me when you come over the walls and destroy everybody be merciful to me and my family and here's and they gave her this scarlet cord um, to mark the spot and they told her they said um, you're going to hear a lot of noise and a lot of uh, tumult um, don't come out of your house. If you leave your house and wander into the streets, you're going to get killed. Stay inside. And once the smoke cleared at the end of the battle, Joshua said, look for the scarlet um, cloth and bring out Rahab and her family. They will be spared. God's extraordinary ways is extraordinary deliverances, not only physically here, but spiritually. He redeems Rahab, the Canaanite prostitute. And as it turns out, <clears throat> she uh, has her other mention in the roll call of faith in the, in the genealogy of Jesus. Um, I looked at it, but Rahab's husband, she had Obed. Obed and his wife had Boaz, who was... Um, eventually Ruth's husband Ruth and Boaz had Jesse and then Jesse and his wife had David so that makes her if I'm not mistaken David's great grandmother I think I'm pretty sure in the roll call of faith so Boaz and Ruth Rahab I guess what's Ruth's and Rahab's relationship uh, daughter granddaughter no I could don't get I'm getting distracted okay I didn't think to look at that but that would have been cool 
Maybe one of you can think about that um, after the sermon's over. <clears throat> but faith and joy, this joy that the redeemed have to, to honor the Lord, to be obedient to him and to, to serve his people, that's part and parcel of God's extraordinary ways with his, with his church, with his people. So as we come now to the table, the table is a, is a table of joy. It's a, it's a table that, that preaches peace, um, that uh, exalts and exalts the, the gift of faith God has given his people. Improbably, the fact that you and I are here today redeemed, worshiping the, the true and living God and about to, uh, to honor him and communion with him at his table is the most improbable thing that we should be able to think about. This didn't happen naturally. <clears throat> we, were, we were redeemed passively. The Lord came to us and made us his own and made a covenant with us and changed our name, made us his own, put his name on us. Joy, the improbability of our being here today, and yet by grace and only by grace. Sole grace. And the relationship that God has instituted and established and maintains with his people graciously to you and to your children after you. Praise God. It's all here at the table, and we come um, willingly and gladly and humbly to again celebrate God's extraordinary redemption of his people and his extraordinary ways with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this extraordinary gift you've given us, one with which you redeem, one with which you bring in the righteousness of Christ and apply it to a new heart, one that you've just recreated, a creature new in Christ. So, Father, continue that newness and that growth in our sanctification. Make us more like Christ. Conform us to his image more and more every day. Give us this joy. Help us to appreciate the improbability of our, of our stance before the throne, your throne, and the relationship that we have with you. You are Abba, Daddy, our Heavenly Father. We thank you. And may we now bring all of that to the table and help us to exalt and exalt uh, the cross, uh, the Savior who died for us, his righteousness, not our own, his diadem, not our own, and his home, which is naturally not our own, but is now as he is preparing a place for us. Lord, we thank you. Uh, build our faith, make it stronger every day, and draw us ever heavenward and root us up from the earth and prepare us for that which is better, which is our heavenly home. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.